that speaks of joy in our worship to the Lord. And that should be a major part of our worship. And that is one of the features we're going to be talking about in this series. But sometimes that can be misunderstood. The joy that we have in God and our worship in God is not primarily on worship that pleases us, as we're going to see. But there's another more important focus. And as we I've been looking, thinking about this worship series for a while, uh, one of our deacons got up recently and mentioned um, in his prayer that it seemed like we were having more of a focus on worship this year. And I thought about that. I thought, well, I don't know that that's been intentional, but it is kind of seems like uh, we've been talking about worship a lot. So maybe it's time. And the more I prayed about it, I felt like it is time for us to talk more about this topic of worship. We're going to be doing that this morning. Um, this is one of those things that I had always grown up and even in seminary thought worship. I, I pretty much know what that is, and I agree with it. It should be done. And, and so um, I, there's, there's really, what, what's there more to say? You know, we should worship. I know that, and I think I know what worship is. Um, it wasn't until I Ended up, we, uh, my wife and I ended up at Cornerstone Baptist Church under the leadership of Pastor Gary Reimers, who was also my seminary professor. This was a major emphasis of his ministry. He taught this in classes, and he had a series that he would, on a regular basis, every three to four years, continue to cover on worship. It was a very um, big burden to him that people understand the need to properly worship. And, I, you know, I've heard a lot of great speaking over the years and a lot of great messages. I'm not always inclined to bring all of that material and try to present it in, in the same sort of fashion whenever I hear that, because the Lord lays on my heart a lot of different things. But this series and this topic in particular, um, the way it was presented and the material was such that I do think it is going to be helpful in some sense in the way that I received it initially. Now, these are still my messages. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going verbatim on some other person's uh, material, my illustrations too, but I will quote him maybe a little bit more often from time to time than I normally do others. And uh, the scriptures are the same scriptures that uh, he, Pastor Reimers, would use as well. But the point of all this is, and uh, I think you'll see this very quickly, this is what scripture says. This is God's emphasis. And we need to understand that and be willing to worship him in the way that he would have us to do that. You know, really, worship is one of the primary emphases throughout scripture. And it's one of God's central commands to his people. I don't know if we fully realize that a lot of times. Even the psalm that Bill just read is the command there, the expectation that we're going to worship God. And yet, even though we may have an understanding of that, um, we tend to trivialize or misunderstand within the Christian community. And it's something that is so vital, the scriptures presented is so vital, that we must accurately understand it. And not only that, but then proclaim it and follow after right worship and what God expects from us. And that's the purpose of this series that we might understand what true worship is, and that we might do that and serve God in that way according to his scriptures. 
The primary purpose of our worship is important, and it should be to obey God and to please him in it. And today's message is going to be called Purposeful Worship. Um, I'm going to read from one psalm that we're actually not going to get into in detail today. We will get back to, but it does give the intent and the purpose and the focus of worship. Psalm 135, 1 through 6, and you can turn there with me. Begins, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all the deep places. And this psalm reminds us, our worship, the focus, is solely the Lord, is God, and he should be our focus. Father, thank you for the truths that we are going to be reminded of today. These are things that certainly pretty much I'm sure everyone in this room has heard before, these passages, and certainly thought about worship, but help us have a renewed focus and a renewed determination to worship you in the way that you would have us to do it, to understand what true worship is and to obey you in it. And Lord, that in this most important command that you have called us to do, that we would do it well to innate to a a world that rejects you and worships all kinds of other things except the creator God of the universe. So help us to do this well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I found recently on a ministry and political satire website, I remember I said satire, So get ready for a little bit of humor here, okay? Um, They included some ways to entice your bored congregates back to church after COVID. And I can't can't use all of them because some of them I just didn't feel was appropriate, but a couple of these I thought were good. Number one, you could offer VIP backstage passes to meet the pastor. Might be one good way. Number two, everyone gets a game buzzer to press whenever the pastor says something they don't like. Nothing like some audience participation, right? Here's number three, tie a string to their smartphone and slowly pull it toward the church doors. That might get some people to come in. Well, they also had an article as well along the same line. And remember, satire, right? It said, the Church of the Harbor unveiled its new sleep number pews for congregates this past Sunday, becoming the first church in the nation to offer personalized, adjustable sleep options for members. You're never going to get that here. I just want to be clear on that. (laughs) While many churches force you to try to get comfortable on a hard pew or chair, this church wants you to wants to revolutionize the way you sleep during a service. Attendees entering the building will be handed their own wireless remote, which they can use to tweak their own sleep number pew to their heart's content. 
One deacon said, finally, you can adjust your pew to the optimal level of resistance and and incline for conking out during the pastor's message. For instance, I like to recline almost all the way down. I also like very little resistance. I want my pew to be as soft as a seeker-sensitive gospel message. Oh, yeah, right there. That's perfect, he muttered as he drifted off to sleep. Ushers will also make a circuit around the room, passing out blindfolds and earplugs in case the sermon is too distracting. Now, they may do that at Church of the Harbor. We will never do that here, so don't get any ideas, all right? But this satire does make an important point, and the reason why it is funny is because, unfortunately, that is, in a general sense, the philosophy of our Christian community today. What are you going to do for me that's going to please me as I come to worship? But you know what, folks? This is not just a contemporary service church problem. It's not for those bigger ministries that are more contemporary than, than we are. How many times, maybe you've done this in the past, have you gone out after church, you get in the car, and one of the first questions you ask from your family is, well, guys, what did you get out of the service? And somebody may say, oh, I really enjoyed the music, or I really, really loved pastor's passionate explanation of God's word, or, you know, whatever. I I really appreciated the prayer time, and it's all about what you appreciated through the service. And folks, we can get caught up in that a lot of times, even as a small church out here in the country, conservative church. What is the real question? That's not the real question we should be asking. It's not what did you get out of the service as the primary question, the first question ought to be for all of us, what did God get out of the service? That ought to be the number one question. And we just read Psalm 135, 1 through 6, that makes it clear that God is the focus of our worship. And so as we are in this worship service for Village Chapel Baptist Church, he is the number one focus and he needs to be pleased. Another passage is John 4, 23 through 24. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. We'll get back to this passage later, but it reminds us up front that our responsibility in worship is to seek the Father in spirit in our inner being that portrays itself in our physical being and in truth in the way that God wants us to worship. In other words, we need to be willing to be obedient to the way that God asks us to worship. We're going to see what that looks like. Worship is attributing glory to God and not contributing something to him. When we hear this phrase, and I've talked about this before recently in the Psalms, when it says, give glory to God, it's not that we're going to add to his greatness in any way, but we contribute or we can we attribute what is already there. This is our great God. We're not adding to his greatness, contributing something, but it is proclaiming, attributing glory that he has. And that's what it means to give him glory, to make him of weight and importance. Uh, one great definition of worship that I'm going to continue to use by Pastor Gary Reamers is, Worship is the process of declaring by whatever means God ordains that the Lord is full of glory. It's to be all about God. That's what worship is. 
Now, let me quickly highlight four words that we're going to see in our passages today. And you can turn to the first passages, passage, Genesis 22, 1 through 18. That is the passage about Abraham and, and Isaac. We're going to go quickly through that this morning, but there's some key principles there. In that passage, we're going to see the word worship. In Hebrew, it's hawa, hawa, and it means to bow down or to worship. It refers to bowing down in an act of worship, reverence, or respect. Describes the act of bowing or making oneself bow, humbling oneself before a superior. And many times as it relates to worship, it symbolizes the believer's grateful response to a promise made or kept by God. And that seems to be the purpose of worship that God is calling Abraham to in this story. Now, this story bypasses all the other things that we've heard about about Abraham and gets right to the most dramatic event in his life, even beyond his older wife having a baby at her age. That was a big deal, but this, even more important, really is the most dramatic event in Abraham's life. And there's a lot of emphases in this story, but worship is certainly the central component. We're going to learn a number of things about worship in this. Now, this story at the same time has some unique characteristics that are not applicable to us today, i.e. potentially offering up your own son um, as a sacrifice. That's not what we have to worry about in application today, certainly. Um, this, this test, and we're told this at the beginning of this narrative, that God is testing Abram because the way that he asks him to worship is so extreme and disturbing that literally God has to remind us at the beginning of this that it's a test of Abraham so that we know kind of an idea of what's going to happen at the end. But it is a unique test for a unique and centrally important figure, Abraham, within God's plan of raising up, what, an entire nation of people, right? Israel, and to testify through that nation of his greatness to the whole world. Beyond that, I do believe it's also a vital picture as Abraham is willing to offer up his own son, that it is a picture a picture to Old Testament believers as well of the ultimate sacrifice that God the Father would make of his own son for the sins of the world. We're about ready to um, work through and study that sacrifice in the Gospel of John. And by the way, for those of you that are worried that we've somehow scrapped that study, we've just moved it to the evenings. So tonight we're going to be back in the Gospel of John as we continue the worship service, the worship study in the morning. We're about ready, though, to see God the Father making a sacrifice of his own son. And Abraham and Isaac are a beautiful picture of that, even though there also was a substitute for Isaac, right? A substitute, the ultimate substitute would be Christ. Those are some basic things to understand. But the actual test that God is giving um, Abraham is a very simple but it's albeit, it's a very difficult one, disturbing even, if you've never read this before. And it's this, would God obey, would, what, excuse me, would Abraham, would Abraham obey God in faith in the way that God commanded him to worship? Let's look at verse one. And it came to pass, this is Genesis 22, 
after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. You notice how the narrator is emphasizing the fact that God is calling Abraham to sacrifice the one thing that he loves most and how difficult this would be. And of course, all of us that have children would understand this. But the narrator is emphasizing how difficult this would be for Abraham and yet his need for obedience. And get thee up into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And there are those that think that this mountain was ultimately the mountain where Jerusalem would sit and where the tabernacle, where the temple would be built. We don't know for sure, but it's certainly a good possibility, which makes us even more uh, emblematic of what would happen. And here God just lays it out for Abraham, and we don't have any testimony of any sort of protest. As Abraham, just says the next day, rose up early in the morning. I'm sure that night he had his struggles. I'm sure he wrestled with this. But ultimately to Abraham, the the ultimate um, responsibility that he had was to obey God, even at the cost of his own son. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and cut the the wood for the burnt offering. And rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Again, this is all in the aspect of worshiping God. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and there's our word, and worship and come unto you again. That word is bowing down, humble oneself before one that is greater. And Abraham says, We're going to worship and honor. And in thankfulness, recognize our God who is greater than us. And Abraham here is willing to do that, full obedience at the cost of his own son. Don't don't trivialize that. Let the full impact of that seep in as we continue on here. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both of them went together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And so both of them went together. Here, Abraham probably hoping he, he trusts God. He trusts God that maybe even at the last moment here that God will provide something else. But let's not misunderstand. He's willing to do it the way that God has called him to do it without question. Remarkable. And they came to the place that God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. And laid, yeah, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Would Abraham obey God in faith in the way that God commanded him? He's willing to do that. God had given Abraham a requirement of worship that was truly abhorrent to him. Obey God by killing my own son? And folks, this is one of the earliest acts of worship in Scripture that we have accounted for. 
And notice what the primary principle is. It does not include what pleases the worshiper. This did not please Abraham at all. This was the last thing he wanted to do. And remember that the application here is not that God is going to call us to do worship, to do worship in a way that is abhorrent and is, is the last thing that we would ever want to worship. God wants us to have joy in worship too. But again, the primary principle is most importantly in obedience to him, what pleases him. The sacrifice commanded of Abraham here, um, so that we're clear on this, this was not supposed to be an atoning sacrifice, right? Because the sacrificial system had not been established yet. So what was this representing then as he is literally offering a sacrifice to God, most likely as a response to the promises made by God, more of a worshipful act of gratitude, of thankfulness, but he has to give his own son in order to sacrifice and to thank God. These things weren't connecting surely in Abraham's mind, but he was willing to obey. And then aren't we glad then for that next verse as we, well, we, we didn't read verse 10 and Abraham stretched forth his knife and here his hand. And here's the drama of the situation. We can picture Abraham stretching forth, lifting his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And right at the right dramatic moment, Hollywood can't do any better than this. The angel of the Lord calls down from heaven. We all breathe a sigh of relief and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, um, thine only son from me. Here we have, because of Abraham's obedience, and let's not misunderstand. It's not God saying, um, I know or that, that I had to wait. It's not as if God is saying, I was waiting to see what you would do, Abraham, because I wasn't sure. But now I know. Now I know that you truly do uh, have faith, faith to obey me in whatever I ask. God knew what was going to happen. But this test was for Abraham so that he would be, even as we talked about this morning um, in spiritual maturity, that he would be more excellent in his relationship and more mature in his relationship with the Lord. And that he would be a picture of obedience for all of us, all of his people, his descendants and us today about how to worship and how to worship God in obedience to him, to be fully obedient. And then God blesses Abraham for being willing to obey. And God gives what were conditional promises up to this point. God had promised Abraham a lot of things, right? Uh, Descendants beyond um, the number of sand on the seashore and, and the stars and all these things. But at this moment, this is the moment, the act of obedience, where God then confirms And he makes an unconditional oath. He ratifies the covenant that he would bless Abraham's descendants. And Abraham's descendants, he would make a nation. But folks, if you read this, and we don't have time to really get into this, but there's even blessings that extend all the way to the eternal kingdom and to the millennial kingdom when Jesus returns. Let's just read this quickly. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram 
and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. What a joy that must have been for Abraham to offer up in that way instead of his son. And Abraham called the place, name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Again, what is the picture here? One day God would provide the ultimate sacrifice that we could have forgiveness of sins. Beautiful picture. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. The picture shall be seen of what Jesus would do. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and withheld not, has not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, offspring, as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. I am going to do this, Abraham. And then here's the promise to extend to the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Because of Abraham's obedience and being willing to worship God in the way that God called him to do that, not only would he receive multiple blessings, but he would be a useful tool that God would literally be able to bless the whole world. And we will be able to enjoy the benefits of the millennial kingdom and Jesus' reign in one sense because of the obedience of Abraham when it came to worship. It's remarkable. There's a lot to that picture, right? But folks, certainly in regards to that, it is true that we must purpose to obey God in our worship. Our worship needs to honor God, and we must purpose to obey him like Abraham did. And whatever the ways that God would call us to worship. And we're going to continue to study that in the upcoming weeks. Not only just purposing to obey God, though, not just trying to follow a bunch of rules, but folks as well, purposing to please God rather than ourselves. In other words, as we turn to Isaiah, our second passage here, Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14, we're going to see here highlighted the need to be most concerned about what pleases God, pleases God in our worship, rather than what pleases us. And Isaiah here is highlighting for God's Old Testament people the need to choose what God delights in, rather than one, what one person delights in, in their day of worship, which was the Sabbath, a Saturday, the day of rest, two things that were supposed to be accomplished, rest and worship of God. And Isaiah is going to highlight here the fact that they need to focus on what pleases God and not what pleases themselves. Look at verse 13 of 58. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, if you'll turn away from doing this idea of pleasure has idea of what delights, what um, attracts us, Whatever you just add in there, whatever you like to do or even like to eat or what the things that you enjoy doing the most, all of that has kind of pictured in this word. Whatever you like to do, if you'll turn away from that concept of what you want to do on my holy day, the Sabbath, and call the Sabbath a delight. In other words, delight in honoring me in the Sabbath in the way I want to be honored, the holy of the Lord honorable. That word has the idea of, um, of weight, 
and being weighty and being honored, giving proper importance and weight to a situation. And so Isaiah says here in this that will you be willing to honor, give proper importance to the Lord on his day rather than what you want? And she'll honor him not doing or not going thine own way, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words idly. Maybe even the idea here of complaining or saying, I don't really like to do that in the worship service. Isaiah says here, that's not your prerogative. But what we do come to the worship service is not complaining that things aren't going the way that we want them to and what we want, but it's ultimately, if you're willing to forsake that and do it the way that God wants to do, if you're willing to do that, then you will truly enjoy worship and you'll delight in it. God will give you a delight for the things that he delights. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places, the heights of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. This is a promise that God gives that if we're willing to please him rather than ourselves as we worship him corporately, specifically as we worship him corporately, there will be blessings in that. It's not a day then for doing as you please, right? Um, And one quote here from a uh, scholar named Mottier, he says this, in a word, the Sabbath calls for careful, thoughtful living. It is not a day for doing as you please because it is my holy day, the Lord's holy day and worthy to be honored. It is a day, therefore, for reverential, thoughtful use coupled with sweet joy. The determining factor is whether this or that activity defiles or honors the holiness of the day, whether it is mere indulgence or of a personal pleasure or preference, or whether it conduces sweet delight in the Lord. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor Brock, that's the Sabbath, right? That's that special holy day that the Jewish people were supposed to observe. That really doesn't apply to us specifically today, and it's true the direct observance of the Sabbath does not directly apply to us today, but still we need to understand that although we don't strictly adhere, observe the Old Testament law, people, God never did away with his people's need for corporate worship. Just because we don't have to follow all the aspects of his law doesn't mean that he did away with the need to worship him corporately. We still have a need for rest. We still have a need to worship him together. And where does that take place then? Today, in our culture today, normally that that takes place in the Sunday morning worship service. And I consider the Sunday morning worship service then that most important service of the week where we focus on what pleases God and worshiping him primarily, even over what pleases ourselves. And it's as important to recognize him in our day-to-day and to worship him as it was back then. So principially, this still then applies to us. Not what what pleases us. The same sort of thought needs to be taken in how we please him in this very worship service as opposed to what pleases us. Well, Pastor Brock, does that mean we don't get any enjoyment out of it? And I mean, God may enjoy it, but we just kind of suffer through. No. no, there's joy. There's joy in worshiping God, and there should be joy in worshiping him as we do that. 
but it, it comes from the knowledge ultimately that we're pleasing him. That ought to bring a mature believer who wants to do things that, that, that please, that, that are encouraging, that are joyful to us, but we have to submit those things to what pleases God. Ultimately, please God before people. This reminds me of a story, a man that I served together in ministry with. He was an assistant pastor, and he told the story of when he and his wife um, were married, and on their honeymoon, she got up early and wanted to do something special for him because he loved coffee, and I could relate to that. And so she uh, made this big pot of coffee, and she poured it in this nice glass and cream and, and everything that he liked and just... But the only problem was she had never really made coffee before. And she brought it to him and he took that cup of coffee and he was excited. Oh, isn't this wonderful? I mean, I married, he's, he's talking here. I married the most wonderful woman in the world and she makes me coffee on her honey. This is just great. And so he's smiling and she's watching him like, are you really going to enjoy this? And she's looking forward to the response on his face and he takes one sip. And he said it was probably the nastiest cup of coffee that he'd ever had in his life. It was weak and it just had a really strange, bizarre taste to it. But yet he's trying to be kind. So he's trying to do the right facial expressions like, wow, that's coffee. And she could tell right away that there was something wrong. She said, oh, did I not make it in the right way? I thought it'd be pleasing to you. And he said, well, how did you make it? And come to find out, she had, there had been numerous options, I guess, that he had brought along of flavored coffees. And she thought it'd be good to take a little bit from each flavor and add it together. Not enough to make a strong cup of coffee. But by the time she got, you know how kids like to make the, the soda drinks where they mix all the sodas together. And then at the end, they're like, oh, that's great. And as a kid, I don't, that, that always kind of enticed me. But as an adult, I just look at that and say, oh, that's awful. And the same thing with this young man. The point was she wanted to please him, but she really didn't know how to. And it wasn't a pleasing thing for him to experience. We can understand and sympathize with a newlywed wife who just wants to make her husband a cup of nice coffee. We can understand that. But folks, in a more serious sense, how often do we come and try to please God and we really haven't studied or understand how he wants us to do that? And we hand him, here's our worship, and it's not pleasing to him because we've never really taken the time to really examine from God's word what type of worship pleases him. That's a problem. We need to purpose that we're going to worship in a way that obeys, but even beyond that, pleases God. Our worship, our every part then in application of our worship service that we, that we do here at Village Chapel needs to do two things. It needs to be obedient to God, and it needs to be pleasing to God. And that has to be the overarching principle. God's word's clear on that, right? Just quickly turn with me to Romans 14. We won't be here long as we finish up. But folks, we also must purpose in our worship to serve God. This Romans 14 passage is one that as I've studied it, I've decided that after the worship series, I'm actually going to come back to this. Um, it's really been helpful for me, this passage on the conscience. 
and um, the individual conscience and how that applies to corporate conscience. I've been reading a book uh, recently about the conscience that was written a few years ago that has been really helpful. I'm listening to some different interpretations, and I'm going to be referring to that. Um, we're going to be studying that after we finish the series. But this, these few verses, although this is talking about one person, the weak conscience versus the strong conscience, in these verses, in 5 and 6, it's often misunderstood, but this is not what he's referring to here, is a weak versus strong issue. It's an example of the holy day, the Lord's day, for us, this would be today as we worship him on a Sunday. And he points out, Paul points out, that we must be concerned in our corporate worship day, most importantly, of what is pleasing to God. Dr. Reamer says he observed it, the holy day, the worship day, in advantage to the Lord. Our thoughts need to be, as we worship God together, is this advantage to him? Is this pleasing to him as I serve him during this time? Verse 5, one man esteemeth one or judgeth. It means the idea of that he has thought through, that he studied through how best to worship God during the holy day. He's taken the time to do that. And he esteemeth one day above or better than another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Notice there's no mention here of the weak versus the strong. Let every man be fully persuaded or convicted in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the honor of the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. This, there's a lot we could say about this, and I'll get back to this in, in our study in the future. But notice the main key to all this. As we estimate, esteem, think through what will please God in the holy day, the Lord's day, even as we worship today, we're thinking what will honor God, not what will please me. Paul's making it clear. We must purpose in our worship service to God that we will obey him in our corporate worship. So the question is, is how can we worship God publicly in a way that brings God the most glory? That needs to be key that Paul's pointing out here. But the second aspect goes even further, just in case some of us would say, well, I, I believe that in our worship service today, we've obeyed God, we've pleased him, and now the rest of the week, it's my time. I get to do what I want to do. All right. Paul says, no, wrong understanding. He that eateth, eateth to the honor of the Lord. He giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Whatever you are convicted on as far as your eating habits, whether you're vegetarian or whether you eat meat, in a general sense. Verse 7, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. Folks, this applies to every decision we make, not just during the worship service. In other words, our personal worship throughout the week, we must purpose to obey him in our corporate worship together, and then also purpose to obey him in our personal worship, which is everything else we do. Every decision we make should glorify God as well throughout the week. Right down even, as Paul mentions here, to what we eat and drink. 
folks, do we really truly understand we have a responsibility before God and everything that we do to ask him if it pleases him? And when we do what pleases him, and this will be different, God gives, and this has that whole idea of conscience, God gives different sensitivities to different people in their lives about what will please him and certain sensitivities where one, his example here, one feels like he can eat a big steak and enjoy that steak. And others feel like it's best for me at this time to eat vegetables and and vegan, go vegan, whatever. Whatever decision you make, and each of us, God gives different sensitivities, so we don't judge the person that has a sensitivity that we don't, and they shouldn't judge us if we don't have that sensitivity, um, but that we are convinced that what we decide that it glorifies God. That's where we mess up a lot of times. We make decisions, we decide on things that we want to do, actions, things that we enjoy doing. And we never ask the Lord, does this glorify you, God? Is this what you want me to do? And Paul says, that is the purpose. That's our responsibility. Everything we do, our personal worship must glorify God. And so our obedience in personal worship is then service to him. That may seem like a tall order, folks, but doesn't Jesus deserve it? He paid for it. He died for us. So he deserves for us to do what's pleasing to him ultimately. Does that mean we can't enjoy things that we like to enjoy? Certainly, there's all kinds of things that we all like to enjoy. I enjoy coffee. Another person may enjoy tea. Make sure can be convinced that it brings glory to the Lord, that the Lord's um, accepted in that, in your own personal walk, and then enjoy it. But give him glory for it. Some A person may like to play golf. Another may like to play basketball more. It's fine. Are you convinced that it brings God glory? And then enjoy that under that rubric, under that principle, because Jesus deserves our attention in the details of our life because he paid for our life. He redeemed us. So as we finish this first message on purposeful worship today, folks, here's the bottom line. Let's purpose to worship God in a way that is pleasing to him by checking his word and asking him, just ask him. And some he'll say, that's okay. That's, that's good for you to do. Others. He may say, no, I really don't want you involved in that. Okay. And these are issues that are non non commandments, so to speak. We'll get into that later, but have we prayed and asked him because folks, God deserves our full consideration in our worship above all else. That's what we want to do as Village Chapel Baptist Church. We want to give him full consideration in our worship as we worship him corporately, but also individually in our personal worship in our lives. Father, thank you for these principles that are so key. that They're very um, clear. And I pray that you will help us to then go from here And as we continue to work through this series, and as we worship together on the Lord's Day in this service, that we will most be most um, concerned about what pleases you beyond what pleases ourselves. And then throughout our lives, as we worship you, that that will be our primary concern, and that we will be people that operate out of uh, conviction, that you approve of what we're doing, 
and that ultimately we're bringing glory to you. We're worshiping you well. May that be my desire. May that be the desire of our folks, that we may be a bright light for Christ and be serviceable, useful for you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.